Section 16 of Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington and Others of the Family by B. P. Shillaber. Section 16. Dietetical Counsel you mustn't be too greedy isaac said mrs partington as with an anxious expression she marked a strong effort that the young gentleman was making to achieve the last quarter of a mince pie you shouldn't be so gluttonous dear you must be careful or you will get something in your elementary canal or sarcophagus one of these days that will kill you isaac she had been to hear a course of physiological lectures and then you will have to be buried in the cold ground and nobody will never see you no more and what will i do isaac when you are cut down in your priming like a lovely jelly flower much affected by the picture her own prolific fancy had conjured up she pensively sweetened her tea for the fourth time and looked earnestly upon isaac who unheeding all she was saying sat gazing at the street door revolving in his mind the practicability of ringing the doorbell unperceived without going outside domestic peace can never be preserved in family jars mrs p confers with paul and do you believe in the spiritual knockings asked mrs partington as she leaned forward over the table and bent her eyes on a queer individual who had related some wonderful things he had seen oh i would so like to have poor paul come back a gentle rapping upon the old chest in the corner attracted their attention and the whole of them immediately surrounded it if it's paul's apprehension said mrs partington i know he'll answer me paul is that you just like him said she smiling when he was living he was always tapping when he had anything in the house to tap didn't you paul can't you speak to me does that mean yes or no what does it mean some of the party suggested that the alphabet be called which was done are you in want of anything said she what is it and the anxious spectators through the medium of the alphabet spelled out s i d u r it is paul cried the old lady delightedly that's the way he always spelled it do you want me to come to you paul the answer came back no i'm in better company the old lady turned away mournfully there was sorrow in the wavy lock of gray that struggled beneath her cap border there was a quaver of grief in the tone that inquired for the scissors there was a misty vapor upon her specks like the dew upon the leaves after a rain the cap border like a flag at half-mast trailed in woe over the ruin of disappointed affection at that instant the cover of the chest opened and the head of ike protruding disclosed the secret of the knockings ah you rogue said she a smile dispelling all evidence of disorder ah you rogue was it you you'll never be a good spirit as long as you live i'm afraid 
if you go on so but i knowed it wasn't paul there was triumph in her tone and it seemed as if a whole basket full of sunshine had been upset in that room it was so pleasant all the rest of the evening mrs partington at the play the playhouse is the way to the pit said mrs partington solemnly and pointing significantly downward but remonstrated a friend who had asked her to visit the museum with him there is no pit in this theatre and the way to the pit is removed she looked earnestly at him a moment and then said she would go the play was the stranger and she was much interested in it why don't he make it up with her she inquired what's the sense of being ugly when she's so contritious for what she had done i should like to know i think it shows a bad temper in him and the dear children too coming in like little cherubs to make him forget all old troubles and follies we hadn't ought to dwell so upon old grievousness because we are all liable craters how i do pity her and the old lady wept copiously she wouldn't leave the house till she ascertained from the policeman whether old tobias got back his son that had listed for he looked but feeble she said when he went away and the great grief and the long pole the old gentleman carried for a cane must have broken him down breaches of faith breaches of faith screamed mrs partington as she heard that term applied to mexican violations of an armistice well i wonder what they will have next i have hearn tell of cloaks of hypocrisy and robes of purity but i never heard of breaches of faith before i hope they're made of something that won't change and wear out as old deacon gudgeon's faith did for his was always changing he went from believing that nobody would be saved to believing that all would be and at last turned out a phrenologer and didn't believe in nothing i wonder if it's as strong as casimir and she bit off her thread and prepared a new needleful a queer conceit why don't they make these tragedies turn out different said mrs partington after seeing virginius performed i think they might end them with a dance and all that are killed should take part in it just to show folks that they're alive this now was too savage and when mr virginius got the other gentleman by the throat i looked round for the police to see if he would part them and there he was enjoying it as well as the rest of em i should like to know what he is there for if it ain't to keep the peace and the old lady was tucked up for the night mrs partington on cold porters so they've took our minister and made a cold porter of him said mrs partington to her neighbor mrs sled i suppose they're going to set him to carrying all the coal in the parish and so take the bread out of the pockets of the foreigners and irishmen poor craters that do it now he preached last sunday on mortifying the flesh but when he gets to carrying the baskets 
i think he will look like one mortified all over she smiled at the conceit and then turned to see what david said on the subject and what analogy there was between hewing of wood and drawing of water and coal-portering but dropped the search on a summons to tea no matter said she it won't hurt him any and my dear paul used to say that everything honest was honourable and that black coat of his'n won't show the coal dust at all fourth of july isaac said mrs partington rapping on the window as she saw the boy in the act of putting half a bunch of crackers into the pocket of a countryman who stood viewing the procession the caution came too late and the individual was astonished isaac had stepped inside the door to await the explosion and the old lady met him in the entry oh you spirit of mischief cried she what will become of you if you go on in this way is this all your ideas of liberty and regeneration that you must fill that poor man's pockets with your crackers do you suppose this was all that the days of seven by six was made for i should think you would be ashamed to look upon your uncle paul's picture there and hide your face in conclusion arter behaving so ah she mused how different boys are now from what they used to be so wild so rakeless and tricky crack what's that i should like to know who fired that it was a great piece of impudence crack goodness gracious somebody must be throwing them into the windows she ran to look out not a soul was near that could have done it crack another explosion at her feet and she looked round isaac sat demurely eating some gingerbread by the table but said nothing there was an expression about his mouth which looked torpedoish and for a moment she mistrusted him but he couldn't have done it he was so quiet and she shut the window that opened upon the street to prevent their throwing in any more seeing the fireworks oh dear said mrs partington stretching herself on her toes to get a better look at the fireworks i always wish i was seven foot tall at times like this and i wish i was nine foot said the little woman before her spitefully how i hate to see people so selfish don't you mrs brown whispered mrs partington to her neighbor there there they are touching off the volcano i vow said mrs p now look and see if the burning lather runs down the hill this way and the old lady looked anxiously toward the park the telegraph mrs partington is much prejudiced against the magnetic telegraph and takes an entirely new ground in her opposition to it you may send your letters on it said she to the philosopher if you're a mind to but i shan't trust one of mine on it while people can cut it off before it gets there and let the whole world into family secrets and how presumptuous it is too for men to draw heaven's blessed lightning down and set it a-dancing on a tight wire like a very circuit rider it's absolute blasphemy and outrage on the highway and again all nater and scriptor and she turned to the books to find an appropriate text 
but changed the subject by commencing a discussion with her niece on the relative merits of ball yarn and skein and taking her sides she went on like a jolly old wheelbarrow let none be vain of imagined superiority over their brother men for whatever advantage may be fancied in one respect in another there may be a deficiency the man who has law and divinity at his fingers ends in the lore of horseflesh may be instructed by his stable boy and she who speaks italian and embroiders can perhaps take lessons in yarn stockings from mrs partington franklin who could draw the lightning from heaven made a poor hand at tending a baby a story for christmas it was with a clouded brow and an angry eye that young frank harlow stood looking upon his father's face and hearkening to his words as he violently rebuked him the flush upon the old man's cheek betokened the tempest that raged within his breast and his raised and clenched fist descended in fearful emphasis as he uttered the words obey me or by heaven you leave my house for ever mr harlow the father of frank was one of those unfortunate men whose impulses are stronger than their powers of resistance his passion once aroused reason affection common kindness were forgotten in the storm that held him in mastery the hasty and severe word that conveys such bitterness in its utterance in his moods of temper was always ready and the hasty blow fell upon his children with cruel violence at the least provocation correction they never received it was the vindictive visitation of an avenger of wrong rather than the chastisement of a parent at heart mr harlow was a kind man and oftentimes and bitterly when the storm had blown by and his mind was calm again did he repent with a sincere repentance of evil he had done of which he was fully sensible benevolent intelligent noble-spirited self-sacrificing as occasion called for action he had won himself a name for probity and usefulness that was enviable and but for the turbulence of temper above described few finer men could be found this weakness was his besetting sin his temptation and his will was insufficient to resist it frank harlow his youngest son and favorite was his counterpart in body and mind handsome intelligent and witty at seventeen he was the favorite of all in the village in which he lived his generosity was unbounded and the tendrils of his youthful nature shot forth and strengthened in the fertile soil of congeniality at social gatherings he was the crowning spirit his voice rang merriest at the harvest home his story elicited the warmest plaudits at the husking frolic and in the old woods his song echoed through its sombre arches with the joyousness of unrestricted freedom no jealous rivalry stood in the way of his supremacy young and old admitted his claim to the distinction and the smile of beauty and the rustic rose of rural artlessness beamed for him with constant and kindly glow such was frank harlow in his social intercourse petted and happy in the genial flow of his unembittered enjoyment but at home he was a different being the contrast between the sphere of home and that of neighborhood was too marked 
the reverence due parental authority was too little excited by parental love disobedience to imperious command was followed by violence of invective or blows and his high spirit revolted at the irksomeness of domestic oppression his two elder brothers had no sympathy with him they were plotting and matter-of-fact men taking from their mother a more passive and quiescent nature than his own they grubbed along the way of life like the oxen they drove they knew no joy beyond the herbage they cropped having no aspiration beyond the bound of their enclosure content with old routines no new hope obtruded upon their ruminations they frowned upon the bold boy whose spirit and brilliancy cast a reproach upon their lethargy and they rejoiced when the reproof came to curb his ambition home was no longer home to him the ties of consanguinity were to him iron bonds from whose release he would pray to be freed his mother's love alone sanctified the existence he led it was the one solitary star in his night of domestic gloom his affections thus turned from the home circle had concentrated upon one the fairest of the village but whose coquettish predilections had rendered her obnoxious to censure and her fame having reached his father the knowledge of frank's attachment for her had provoked a discussion the result of which was the imperative command with which my story commences a command that he must renounce her for ever the boy stood gazing upon his father with a flashing eye and a swelling breast as he spoke feelings too powerful for utterance were depicted in the look he gave and he left the room with an expression of bitter rage the next morning there was confusion in mr harlow's house frank had fled no one knew whither and the circle whose union was so illy cemented was broken a letter in the village post office explained the reason it read as follows dear mother it grieves me to bid you farewell but longer sufferance from father's tyrannical usage is impossible i go to seek my fortune and when we meet again may it be when he and i shall have learned a lesson from our separation and the alienation of father and child may be forgotten in the renewed intercourse of man and man farewell mother and may you be more happy than i should have been able to make you had i lived with you a thousand years farewell remember sometimes your poor boy frank the letter fell like a thunderbolt upon that household so unprepared for such an event and deep contrition wrung the erring father's heart who saw too late the evil he had wrought the spirited boy had been his favorite so like him was he in form and mind he remembered that no word spoken to him in kindness had been unheeded he heard his praise in every mouth admitted the justness of the meed that was awarded him and every word and every thought was a dagger to his soul in view of the ruin he had caused then for the first time he felt the weight of the responsibility that was rested upon him as a parent and trembled as he reflected how far he might be instrumental in his son's eternal doom too late came penitence for the past but he vowed reform for the future and prayed for strength to fulfil his vow 
a change came over the man and his home the mould of years and care mingled with the raven hues of youth for years had passed and no line of remembrance had come from the absent boy the brothers had married and had children and the old homestead was glad with the music of childish laughter and a sad happiness smiled upon the lives of mr and mrs harlow the mother had mourned for her child and his remembrance often came to her in the voices of her grandchildren and in the sweet reminiscences which solitude brought the hope of seeing him had long died out in her breast for twelve weary years had elapsed since he went away the village had changed the young and joyous companions of frank had turned into grave family men or had moved to strange cities and become the devotees of the money god or worshipped fame in high places the maids with whom he had sported had lost their smiles in the matronly cares of life or had transferred them to their children upon whom they bloomed again the coquette of frank's idolatry had years before given place to younger rivals and mourned her faded charms in singleness of state the village had become populous and new steeples gleamed above the trees in the sunlight and new streets and houses marked the steps of progress a railroad whistle greeted the morning sun instead of the song of birds as of old and the quiet of village life had been usurped by the confusion of city habits frank was forgotten in the march of present excitement or only remembered as a pleasant dream it was christmas night in the year of grace fifty and a pleasant party had met in the house of mr harlow to celebrate the birthday anniversary of his eldest grandson the wind howled around the old mansion house and growled down the spacious chimney as if threatening the elements of geniality that reigned below with a submerging visit the snow rattled against the windows red with indoor light and piled itself in little heaps upon the sills but all was unheeded by the party within and the wind and snow were unheard amid the music of mirth the song was trilled from pretty lips and manly voices joined in a chorus of praise to the festive season when a loud knock of the ancient brazen lion upon the door arrested every attention the sound reverberated along the old entry and up the broad stairway and through the large and airy rooms with remarkable freedom for such an intruder at such a time the timid shrunk at the sound as from a boding of evil and anxiety marked every face the door was opened and a female form was ushered in in whose scant and ragged habiliments poverty was but too plainly read and in the bronzed and wrinkled face revealed by the removal of a red hood were seen the traces of want and exposure her keen black eye as she entered surveyed the scene and her bronzed complexion glowed ruddily in the firelight good people she said in a cracked and tuneless voice that made the flesh of her hearers creep at its sound i am weary and hungry give me of your bounty in the name of him who upon this day took upon himself the condition of man 
i am weary i am hungry an appeal thus made could not be resisted and the best the house afforded was provided for the poor stranger the voracity with which she ate attracted the attention of the circle fully attesting her famished condition and a glance at her apparel confirmed the impression of want and distress and mercy conquered the disgust which her presence had at first occasioned her feet protruded through her travel-worn shoes and the snow melted from their soles and ran down upon the sanded floor as soon as her hunger was appeased she turned to depart but the voice of mr harlow asked her to remain and in sympathetic tones reminded her of the inclemency of the night the woman expressed her thanks gracefully and seated herself by the fireside the sport went on noisily and happily when it became whispered that the old dame was one of those weird people who tell fortunes by the stars or more ignoble means and open to view the destinies of men that lay concealed in the future can you tell fortunes good woman asked one of the youngest and boldest i have travelled far replied the beldam and i have learned strange things in my wanderings the heavens are open to my gaze and the stars where the mysteries of fate are hid are as the printed page the human palm is to me a key to character who will test my power one by one did the company pass before her and the prescience she displayed was most marvellous the lines of the hand seemed pregnant with meaning and the past life of each individual was read with an accuracy that gave importance to her predictions for the future scenes were recalled to many that had long been forgotten loves that had been disappointed hopes that had been destroyed prospects that had been blasted and many a tear was shed at the recollection of some old grief revealed by the power of that singular woman at length mr harlow presented his hand for examination gazing upon it a moment intently with a voice choked by emotion she said here is violence and strife the line of life is crossed by threads of bitterness and woe and the whole of its deep course is marked by traces of grief tears tears are here and the lines of penitence and anguish of soul are strangely interwoven with the strong lines of resolution i see that a deep sorrow is yours the result of fierce passion repented of and subdued is it not so she fixed her eyes suddenly upon mr harlow's face it was pallid as death and the tears stood in his eye yes answered he and trembled as he spoke god knows my sin and god knows my repentance secret tears have been my portion for years and oh what would i not give if the memory of my wrong might be wiped away he bowed his head upon his hands and sobbed in the anguish of his spirit and mrs harlow wept in sympathy with her husband whose deep grief she had thus discovered which had long been concealed beneath the calm exterior of philosophical resignation woman he cried at last 
what is the future of this picture is there no balm in store for my wounded spirit he grasped her hand forcibly as if he would have wrung from it an answer to his question yes said she with deep emotion there is a future of peace and happiness in store for you and the sun of your declining years shall be radiant with supreme splendor and thank god who has given me power to verify my prophecy father mother behold your son he threw off his ragged habiliments as he spoke removed the gray and matted hair from his brow and the patches from his cheeks and stood before the company in the noble form matured in manly strength and beauty of frank harlow there was a new joy in the house that night at the wanderer's return and tears and smiles mingled at the recital of his story the wide world he had travelled and he had learned and profited by the lessons it had taught him he had returned home rich in gold but he was richer in the spirit he had gained it had become softened by the trials it had suffered until it had brought him back to his father's house and to his mother's feet his letters home had failed to reach their destination and deeming himself an outcast he had at length refused to write at all he had married a lady of wealth and had become a denizen of a faraway city but the thoughts of home pressed upon him and the smile of his mother haunted his sleep with fond persistence and he longed to see once more the old familiar faces that were his companions in childhood he had thus come back to revisit the home of his early life stopping at the hotel he had made such inquiries concerning his old friends as led him into the secret of their past lives then assuming his disguise he went to his father's house in the manner above stated the secret of his soothsaying ability was thus revealed the whole of christmas night was occupied with the story of frank's adventures and in thanksgivings for the reunion the next summer a splendid mansion graced the hill opposite the old homestead which soon became and is now the residence of frank harlow esq who retired from business has here settled down to enjoy himself amid the never-forgotten scenes of his boyhood and to endeavor to make up by attention to his parents for the long years he had failed in his duty to them mr harlow is a happy old man and instills it as a sacred lesson into the minds of his grandchildren to beware of cultivating a hasty temper which had been so full of misery to himself mrs p among the animals you call this a caravan don't you said mrs partington at the menagerie maybe it is but i should like to know where the silks and other costive things are that we read of which the caravans carry over the deserts of sarah in the eastern country the elephant has them in his trunk marm replied the keeper then that is the reason i suppose why he always carries it before him so he can have an eye on it but what is this animal with a large wart on his nose that is a new marm mercy on me exclaimed mrs p 
this must be one of them foreign news that the steamer brings over they feed em i dare say on potatoes and vegetables and that is why breadstuffs and flour are so awful dear most always after they arrive and the old lady left soon after full of new light and admiration for the monkeys end of section sixteen recording by john brandon